Welcome back to uh, welcome back to the office, Jay Bearhat. How are you? Uh, how are you feeling? I mean, a little, a little like afraid, but that's nothing new. So we don't have to get into that. Mm -hmm. I, so I guess more guilty. Hmm. Well, have you been? Uh, I mean, really, firstly, have you been taking the medications that I prescribed to you? Have you been? You oh, know? I don't. I I I decided I don't take medications now. Um, Oh. Kinda like a, I'm kind of doing like a Christian science thing, but it's only for things that would prevent me from taking uh, a massive amount of hallucinogens uh -huh. or uh, street drugs. Sure. So like I'm still taking like, you know, vitamin D, uh, but I'm not taking like, what, what was it? Like Zoloft, Praxel, uh, Flingamore. Uh. Um, antibiotics uh um, those are good to take usually usually uh, uh antibiotics you know I'm, I'm off i'm swearing it all off i'm going all natural all right you're going clean MDMA you're going ma acid flipping yeah I'm only doing drugs that the cia developed oh absolutely okay so you're going kind of on a scientologist uh quest a little uh, a little bent here uh yes. All right, I can respect it. I can respect it. Uh, well, you know, we'll loop back around to that uh, another time. Uh, but you know, what's what's got you on that mode lately? I mean, I just feel like it's really difficult lately for me to engage with art. Mm. Uh, you know, it's kind of a you know, what people always talk about like medication kind of makes you feel like a like a zombie. And I was really feeling kind of like anhedonistic. I think is the is is what WebMD tells me that is. Uh, um, and I don't know. I saw this movie recently. Bo is afraid, and I just realized walking out of it, I don't know what I feel about that movie. Hmm. I see. Like, I laughed when there was a funny joke. I did the I did the correct response, you know. Yeah. Aha, he he point at the screen. Um but I like can't did I like that movie? Mm. And like my thing is being able to tell people that a movie's good actually or bad actually. But I can't even say, well, it's just mid is it just mid could it just be that it's just mid but it's a lot of mid at once is it like smoking a bunch of mids <laughs> smoking all of the mid in the world so that there's only hydro left in the known universe uh yeah i don't i don't know uh i i suppose i'm i'm in kind of a similar place to you um or rather it's complicated. How much of your how much of your sort of perception about this movie, especially going in, was kind of colored by uh, the sort of perceptions around its director Ari Aster? Because I think it's fair to say that that could, you know, the the discussion around his oeuvre uh, is maybe tipping the scales in one direction or another. Generally speaking, well, and so that's I, I will say part of the problem is that I feel like we live in two advertising works too well and that's the thing people don't understand true so first the trailer dropped and it looked stupid but i was like okay i know this is a bullshit trailer a24 does this all the time when their movies are kind of kind of quirky you know hereditary had a misleading trailer um the favorite had a 
god awful trailer that made it look like some fucking 1999 she's all that shit mm. um, so i was like i feel like they probably just took the scenes that look the most like you could be in a quirky film and and put them together and that's that that was true but then there was also the like a lot of like initial really negative pushback on the film and like a lot of people are like god this movie does not need to be three hours long it's a career killer this movie just wastes the fucking audience's time it's a career killer this movie is just his neuroticism on screen it's a career killer and i was like a lot of people are saying career killer <laughs> a term that i haven't heard since the simpsons was good uh because who fucking talks about movies like oh this is this one's a career killer anymore yeah like, like okay some guy at the a24 marketing film came up with that because what better way to get a bunch of people who would like an ari oster film to go see the new ari oster film that they're feeling iffy on than by telling them that it's that it's really really bad and that people who go to the alamo draft house hated it yeah well the impression that i get um is that kind of uh ari aster like anybody in the middle of a sort of you know social media and advertising firestorm uh who who kind of has a hold on some you know small part of the culture uh like anybody who is in that position uh has really uncomplicated feelings about it feels fine about it seems to feel really normal about it uh you know uh i i i don't know it there's always there's always some annoying discussion happening with with something that gets to this uh kind of stratosphere oh right but i mean and this is this is related to the anxiety and paranoia i was like how much of this is fake Uh because like i've seen this trick before Sure. People were like, House of Jack is actually really good because people at Cannes hated it. I know how this works. <laughs> you, can, you absolutely can advertise a film by convincing people that like Funko Pop owners hate it. Like that, that works. It works on me. But it like it works well enough that it's like, I, I was like, okay, this isn't a career killer. This might be good. This might be bad. But like, they don't fuck. They don't make career killers anymore. What? what <laughs> the only way to be a career killer is if there's like a scene halfway through where like it just cuts to just like the Mel Gibson like drunk pullover footage, but it's Ari Aster doing it like frame for frame. Like, sure. You gotta like you gotta like do something pretty heinous in your movie to to get that. The, the girl who did a girl walks home at night did that movie that was like apparently like really racist and she still got to make another film there's no there's career killers don't exist yeah i i went in it that's part of the problem is like i went in it even unsure of how i would feel about it because i i like ari aster's movies i like i love hereditary i love midsummer i like talking about them i think that they're really i think hereditary is very uh tight and compact i think it gets in and gets out um, I think Midsummer is a lot more dense, a lot more interesting, a lot of stuff to pull out of it, but it also feels like kind of like an acid moment, like like you're coming up on acid for most of the movie, mm-hmm. which you know works with the film. I, I think he is somebody who is a talented filmmaker, but also could just as easily have that sort of like cockiness 
of 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 bringing in new new like bringing to mainstream film approaches to film that like weren't really common yet and you can already see that with like the fucking explosion of like trauma horror or of like girl boss trauma horror you know stuff stuff that takes the wrong lessons from his things and recreates them and makes everyone sick of them and so there's a lot of annoying discourse about his stuff where people either i think go way too hard in defending it or way too hard and performatively hating it as well um so i went into this i feel like with very open expectations of a wide range of possibilities i was leaning towards like i could see this being like a misfire of a film sure uh but i i walked away just being like i don't know there's things i like there's things i didn't like i think maybe you're a little too early in your career to be doing the like self-critique of your own career thing yeah, that's yeah, that's an interesting thing to bring up. It's very self-referential. The the entire back act of it feeling like a hereditary parody almost. Mhm. Uh, a really good one, a really funny one. <laughs> well, my feeling from having watched it twice is that like I I kind of think that it's interesting. I I'm, I'm really interested in this movie as like a career step. It, it's like I don't want to say it feels metatextual. It kind of doesn't, but it kind of does because the segment of like the Nathan Lane family is like if this almost like absurdist parody of hereditary and what happens in hereditary in the same way that the wood segment with that commune feels like an absurdist parody of Midsummer. So it's kind of like progressing through it's weird calling this a career killer or having it be called a career killer because it's, more than anything, kind of a return to form. It's in fact like an expansion of uh, a short film he made in 2011 called Bo. In I which... got really excited. I thought you were going to say it was an expansion of Dick Fart. <laughs> I, it's an expansion of Tino's Dick Farts. It's in the Tino's Dick Farts extended universe. That's the thing that you have to fucking understand about Bo is Afraid is that like this is Ari Aster's voice. Like he is a goofball. Uh, and like... Oh, his movies are so fucked up. They're so fucking crazy. But, like, you actually go back and watch these movies, and, like, there's elements of humor to both Hereditary and Midsummer that are, like, major... They're, like, the backbone of the movie. Midsummer is funny as fuck. Uh, so this is... It's, like, a, a guy who grew up on, like, YouTube sketch comedy and shit like that making basically a three-hour Tim and Eric's Bedtime Stories episode, which I, I'm really into. I'm really into that idea, and and especially into into the specific ways he kind of talks about himself and uh, kind of pokes fun at his own, uh, you know, like uh, po- pokes fun at his own neuroses because there's this you know whole parasocial meme like is Ari Aster okay? And this this film is just him being like, guys, it's not that serious. You know, (laughs) these neuroses are like a source of humor for me, uh, you know, as well as being, you know, whatever they are. Uh, I don't know. That's art, I guess. You're right in that, like, it makes sense to return to a a 2011 short film he made for a movie that is kind of this amalgamation of his more well-known films and his short form films. Right. Um, And I think I like that. I just don't know if I still know. <laughs> I don't know if it quite works. I 
I feel like what will matter is what comes after it. Uh-huh. Because this feels like the turning point. This feels like it could be his Synecdoche, New York. Mm. And that either he purges out everything and starts working on maybe more digested stuff. Sure, yeah. But or... The- <laughs> or he makes, uh, or uh he makes uh i'm thinking of ending things a fucking movie that fucking sucks shit yeah that's you know that's very very true uh i don't know this movie's definitely referential toward both uh synecdoche new york and i would also say a serious man um and this movie's having serious man vibes yeah you're yeah right. This movie is better than Synecdoche, New York, because it doesn't take itself seriously, but it's worse than A Serious Man because it doesn't take itself seriously enough. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's... it. That's kind of, like, I guess the problem is that there's, like, so much stuff that feels... For every moment that I'm like, that is... That's fucking, like, brilliant, usually comedy-related, uh, there's a lot of stuff that I'm like, eh. <laughs> the The animated sequence, like almost works i think a big problem is that i honestly just think the animation style they chose just looks bad <laughs> i don't I've, think it looks i've heard that from you and one other person which is uh i didn't think it looked that bad but it is a little bit too like oh this is a this is like a commercial that i would see during a twitch stream yeah yeah no that's that's exactly it um i i think part of the problem with it that sequence is that the movie feels like it wants to lull you into thinking that this is the new story of the film but the entire time it's going on i was like okay so when is it gonna go back to like the the movie it goes on for a really long time i didn't get the impression that they were trying to pull the wool over your eyes that much but it's like sitting there being like okay yeah i know exactly where this is going it's not real and it's blah 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 blah. holy fuck how much longer is this yeah this this is the 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 I like I like the punchline of it where it's like, Dad, wait, how how could you have had us then? And that's like that's what breaks him out of the art. Which okay, great double punchline of both his imagination, his personal imagination being so limited that like the way he talks in it is is like, and then you have sex and you have three children because <laughs> you're aiming your wife. Very funny. The punchline of like him being so uncreative that he like doesn't realize that he fucked up his story and included something in it that doesn't make any sense, uh, which is that he can't have a condition where if he comes, he dies and right. have three children. And that that's what takes him out of the art that he was making is like realizing that he kind of like wrote himself into a corner. Very, uh, very like, I see what you did there, Ari. Um, mm-hmm. And then the the third punchline of that which is him snapping into focus and looking out at the play and it not only being nothing at all like what he imagined but it immediately being clear that it is the most obnoxious fucking like bullshit (laughs) (laughs) just the most oh these are a bunch of guys who live in the woods put it who like put out a folk punk compilation every three years. And this is like what they fucking spend their days doing is just writing the most annoying mythology. 
Yeah, it, it's it's a very long movie. I gotta give it. I gotta give that to people. I, it it's these these segments are like you're you're there's like a lot asked of you, and then there's like not a lot given in terms of like narrative heft and weight. Uh, they're kind. It, it's kind of like video game putty characters, you know. Yeah, each each segment of the film just really doesn't it. It feels like it's going for an after hours kind of thing. Yeah, that's another huge reference point for sure. Um, but it doesn't have the same confidence of flow as mm. after hours. Because if after something like after hours, it feels like when you try to describe any scene that it's like, oh, that must have taken a lot to get to. But like the logic of the film works in a way where it just kind of goes from one to the other. Tokyo Godfather is the same way. Where it's like oh, sure. the amount of shit that happens in that film is like insane, but it's like each event logically follows the next, yeah, or is logically and is logically preceded by the previous. But like when you take zoom out and look at it all together, you're like that's an insane set of things to have happened like all at once. Yeah, um, and this one each sequence feels very, um, like broken off. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a way that they all kind of feel like distinct movies, which works, especially with the referential metatextual stuff, but doesn't work with regards to like feeling cohesive, which I think is maybe the main reason why I'm not really sure how I feel about it is a lot of the parts I really like. There's a lot of parts I really like, but the way they all fit together feels very anthology. Yeah, and I mean, like, the biggest complaint I would muster for it is that, like, you have this scene where, and obviously spoilers, but, like, he, he finds his father in the attic and his father's giant penis monster. Uh, yeah. And it's one of my favorite parts of the entire movie. Uh, and then immediately after that, he... Like, I don't know, a lot of stuff where it's, like, Bo talking to Mona toward the end, it was just, like... I was so frayed by that point that I was like ready for the next thing immediately. Like it, it, it lingers on that stuff for so long. It feels like it's, it's just paced not exceptionally. Yeah. And like that sequence, especially the one you're talking about, like uh, where he's talking to her post post penis reveal, post dick reveal. Yeah. Um, is especially what feels like, um, like the, the sort of self-referential stuff is it it comes off almost like he's doing a bit about like hey remember that really iconic uh monologue from hereditary oh you think about it, it it's just my character standing around telling you telling you what their mental health problems are so what if i do that in my movie and it goes on for like way too long yeah uh, and then i do an, an evangelion reference with Bo choking his mom out <laughs> yeah basically no offense That's to patty lupon she's great no, no, she does great. It's just it goes on for like way longer in a way that like feels feels like the kind of things that people who took the wrong lessons from Hereditary write. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you you can compare that to another film we watched recently, Resurrection. Uh, there's like that scene where she does the really long monologue. Like that works in the film. Yeah. Uh, I just didn't feel like the the back and forth. I feel like the dialogue itself is good, but the way it's in there doesn't doesn't work 
doesn't quite work for me. It's a tough nut to crack because I really feel like I do like Bo's characterization. Like, he kind of exemplifies this, like, feeling that, you know, anybody anybody who has ever been alive or anybody with anxiety disorder or whatever kind of has of just, like, helplessness. Like, what do I do now? Who's Who's going to be around to tell me what to do? Uh, but then kind of when you get it, when you actually get him in a room with his mother and like the source of all this trauma, there's not really that much like back and forth to necessarily have other than him like sussing out that, you know, she's not actually dead or whatever, whatever, whatever. But it's, it's, I don't know. I, I didn't find that push and pull very, very interesting as much as I was okay with Bo as a character. Yeah, no, like I, I, I like Bo's characterization. I think he does a really good job. I think, um, the reveal, which is very planted throughout the film and all like 47 things you missed and Bo is afraid that, um, again, redoing the hereditary riff, uh, everything is basically controlled by his mother. Mm-hmm. That like basically every person he met in, in the over the course of the whole film is employed by his mom and is probably an, and is like is an actor. Uh, one of the ones that I caught early on because I thought our reveal was going to be that Ari Oster was a character in the film because the guy looked like him. Uh, maybe it was him, but there's like a guy in the crowd of the play when he's sitting down, he's like turning to someone else and he's like, what am I, what am I doing here? What am I doing in this scene? Yeah. Uh, and that's why I was like, Oh, is that going to be Ari Oster? And like this person who's been following him around because I recognize the guy from another scene is, is the reveal going to be that like, that's Ari Oster himself in the movie. Uh, it was just it was just a twist ending thing. One of those things that I, I'd like want to rewatch it. But like as I was watching the film, just normally once through, there was a lot of moments of like, wait, isn't that the guy from like another scene? Because they would be like standing in a way that like drew your attention to them. So I was like, OK, clearly that person's supposed to be noticed. And like they look like this other character. Right. Um, I know that with um, Nathan Fielder's character, you can see him on the employee roster directly above uh uh parker posey's character uh oh nathan lane yeah yeah, yeah. nathan lane sorry not nathan <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah no nathan lane's character is just right there above her uh yeah i definitely i noticed that one that one was well also the like there's some fun stuff going on i don't know it's I think that people in, at large are a little too tired and underpaid to to make a more significant ARG, but they did something small where they made, like, the Mona Wasserman Company logo. Like, they made a Instagram, they made a they made a LinkedIn for, for the Mona Wasserman Company. That's funny. Which is pretty good. I kind of want to add them. Uh, uh... But I, I remember seeing the MW at the beginning of the movie and thinking, like... Oh yeah, I've seen that production logo before, uh, <laughs> but I don't actually think I have. I, it was totally a like, I've it, it was a I've totally seen this animal before situation. No, Doc, I swear I've seen this animal before. <laughs> Put that up on the screen right now. <laughs> yeah, I- that's <laughs> this colossal flyer went extinct sixty-six million years ago. So sixty-six million years ago. Soon. Bro, I swear I've seen this animal before though. One of the best videos of all time. So real. Just it being just it with the caption of just world's oldest man. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Um. Yeah, I 
there's so many, especially early on, there's so many good visual gags like that though too, of just like subtle things. The the sign on the the sex shop next to his apartment has just like like it just babble. Just like yeah. babbling intrusive thoughts like sex knife. <laughs> like yeah. it's like sex knife. Knife penis, knife, penis. knife cock. Knife penis, knife cock. And then one that says uh, perfectly normal cock. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. My, can we just take a moment to talk about the production design on this movie? Because that was, it was really like, I think there was some comic that Ari Aster was saying he was um, inspired by. Hold on. It's, it, I think the comic is called Eight Ball. All of the production design elements felt very comic-y to me in terms of just like filling the screen and like with like set design and stuff. Like the girl's room that Bo is staying in is one of the funniest sets in the entire movie. There's like a... A like K-pop band poster where it's like the band is called Kiss or something, but the yeah, SS it's, it's, is five five. Yeah, and it's like we are fifty five boys and we love you or something. And so like the that. poster is just like a Smash Brothers roster of boys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, it, and what's great is that even the way he sets up the the camera in those scenes. That is one of the last posters that you see in it. Yeah. Because when it's first introduced, there's a lot of like pitch perfect, like like fake pop boy band, like yeah, anime teenage, drawings, age girl, anime drawings, like fake but realistic looking. And then again, not attention. It's not like it, your eye is drawn to them, like the movie is doing the like, hey, look at this joke, but like you're noticing it because you're like, okay, these are these are cute. Yeah. Uh, and they get more and more absurd. And then one of the last ones you see is there's like a shot when he's like putting her computer down on her desk where you can just see that one above it. And it's just, it's like, that was the one where he's like, I got to have this one be seen last because this is the like peak of the concept I'm doing taken to its like most absurd level, <laughs> which is we are 55 boys and we love you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did. I didn't get a chance to see this in like IMAX or anything like that. I feel like there's probably way more shit like that in that version. Uh, I don't know. We'll we'll see. He, I I love that in his past movies, like all the Easter eggs are stuff planted to kind of like you know like oh the the symbol of the cult is on the is on the telephone pole in 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 Hereditary stuff like that. And in this one, like all the Easter eggs are just like, yeah. Did you notice that there's like just a drawing of a dude puking and coming? Yeah, <laughs> that just keeps appearing throughout the film. <laughs> There's a there's a drawing of a guy sucking dick on the wall of his apartment. Uh, there's lots of I mean, there's lots of dick drawings everywhere. Uh, it, the, this movie kind of knows what its sense of humor is. Uh, really excited to look at what all the weird shit in his apartment is. Yeah, at some point, definitely a film I'm excited to like rewatch at some point with friends to just try and catch what our new favorite uh, gags and intrusive thoughts are going to be. Right. Oh, I can't, I can't believe I almost forgot my fa actual favorite one uh, on the news when it's just increasingly showing more and more like horrific, like crime stuff. And it's just like the birthday boy slasher. And he's called <laughs> that because he's naked. Um, there's just like a little like bug, like ad bug kind of thing that pops in. And it's like up next pregnant and dead <laughs> it's like a reality show uh so fucking good the birthday boy was my favorite character i gotta be honest birthday boy slasher birthday boy slasher this the there's, whole 
the first half of this movie was so fucking funny. I uh, honestly, I can understand being annoyed by it and thinking that he's like a little, I don't know. Well, okay, I can understand it actually because like, I I think a lot of people want Ari Aster to be this kind of cancelable. Like, oh my god, he is such a reactionary. Look at the first part of Bo is Afraid. It's all this like reactionary dog shit, and it's just like. Well, no, that's, like, actually a really good and smart portrayal of, like, someone who's, like, perception of the world is, like, really colored by, like, what other people say about it. Uh, and yeah. and not, all of this is, like, very non-literal non -literal and not meant to be taken very seriously. Like, the fucking guy who's covered in tattoos and it's like, oh, he's so scary, he's so scary or whatever. He's, like, a street. He's, like, a vagrant. He's, like, a guy from the street. But every time you see him, he's, like grabbing food that's too hot and throwing it and going it's too hot yeah like how do you take that seriously that's i think what's so funny about that is that it's like it's so mad magazine yeah that it's like <laughs> this isn't this isn't like a true reactionary's portrayal of crime in cities because it's not hateful enough <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's it's not like presenting this with actual contempt it's right. presenting it as like this is what a reactionary thinks being in the city is like. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so like you're supposed to find it funny in the same way when you get home after being out and being like, oh my God, I almost died. The next morning you're like, what the fuck was I talking about? Those people didn't have anything to do with me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, and hey, let's be fair. Both sides, both sides of them. Uh, very accurate portrayal of a average police interaction. Yeah, no, no, that was that. Was, again, that's like the same thing where it's just it's like uh, it's like the perfect portrayal. Just like your your anxious thoughts about like how about how trying to get help will go down. Yeah, um, I I could see people thinking it's also reactionary because it's like the one billboard. I I forget what it is where it's like. Uh, we're like woke news. We're going to take your genitals or something. But again, it's like it's it's absurd. <laughs> like it's taken to such an absurdity that it's like, how do you not see that? Like the main character of this film is probably, I wouldn't say a little reactionary, but I would say at the heart of a lot of reactionary stuff is anxiety. So it makes sense to make your extremely anxious character view the world through a kind of reactionary lens. Yeah, especially when it turns out that like his entire world is fake. Right. Right. <laughs> his entire world is literally a construction and he doesn't actually know or has possibly ever experienced reality. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's kind of part and parcel with like the continued mission of like Midsummer. Midsummer has a lot of sympathy for the cult member. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Bo is afraid kind of carries this sort of, you know, carries this sort of heart through its it's you know carries this sort of themology or whatever you want to fucking call it uh where yeah like it's not the real world it's like it's it's paranoid delusion it's obsession it's you know but but you know you have to kind of feel sorry for him and, and you have to kind of feel at least a little bit of empathy for him because like all of our world insofar as like the ways that we have to touch and interact with the world around us let's see let's say like television or tiktok or your twitter timeline or whatever 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 like that is all curated in some way by you know large interests and it's it's there is kind of a vested interest in making you as fucking anxious and horrified as possible all the time which uh, 
makes perfect sense why his mom is like basically a Rupert Rupert Murdoch like super corporate figure. Yeah. Yeah, like like it you it, not even to be like ah like the true villain is uh the oligarchy in this film. But it's it's a film that it's like yeah. <laughs> the film is very like Ari Oster obviously has an, an interest and obsession with like systems of control, both on the domestic, interpersonal, and on the super structural. That is literally what Midsummer is about. Right. It does. It doesn't shock me that he would take a lot of this kind of stuff that's in the water with like ways that society and media portrays things to make you anxious and be like, "What if your mom did that to you? <laughs> what if your mom did that to you, but for real?" <laughs> I, I don't know. I just I just thought the the dead son thing was really funny. It, it's it's very funny. It's played so hilariously. Also, like I the the one downside of the actual reveal of the film is that after he left it, I thought it was going to just never explain what the fuck the mom was talking about. Right. Because <laughs> yeah. like I feel like that would have been like really funny if he gets out of there and it's just like oh what was going on well i escaped so who knows i'll never know (laughs) the fucking napkin that's just like stop incriminating yourself and he's like what is it what what do you mean (laughs) (laughs) oh god yeah all of that stuff that was like a real high point of the film and you know getting into the weeds a little bit here there's like I, I, there's there's plenty of uh, kind of takes floating around out there as far as like the gender dynamics of hereditary and all that stuff is really really interesting. The whole like wanting a the the whole like you know Payman wanting like a boy but having to inhabit a girl body uh, and the ways that that can be read uh, and and that you know the the family segment in Bo is afraid. The way that it feels to me kind of referential toward Hereditary is that it's, like, it's still kind of playing in those same, like, weird sort of gender dynamics because this, like, there's this prioritized boy who is, like, dead and no one's allowed to go in his room. And then there's this, like, girl who feels totally, like, forgotten about. uh, And then she brings in, like, pink and blue paint and tells Bo to, like, paint the walls pink. But then she drowns herself and dies on, like, the blue paint. Uh, it's hard not to, like, kind of extrapolate that stuff in a funny way. Um, not to any particular end, but it's it's just, like, this interesting moment of, like, oh, other characters are also going through their own, like, insane family bullshit, their own insane sort of, uh, like, they're, they're developing their own neuroses and things like that. Uh, and Bo kind of has to also navigate around them. Uh, but it's also, it's further funny because... Like, this movie still kind of retained the lively elements of Ari Aster's filmmaking, but it wasn't as gory or as disgusting. I mean, the poisoning was, like, kind of disgusting, but when she starts doing CPR, like, a lot of the people I watched the movie with, like, kind of noted that it looked, the body looked really fake when she did that. So it was, like, between that and elaine's body immediately rigor mortising into like a mannequin it's all it's almost like the people's bodies just get replaced by like movie mannequins when they're done for the purposes of like what the spider's web that mona wasserman is trying to weave 
uh, I don't know. Oh, yeah. Very self-aware of a movie to like turn characters into props like that. Yeah, no, that's that makes a lot of sense. I didn't even think about it in that way that it's like because, yeah, because I, I, I noted that like when she she dies, and the mom goes to do CPR, especially for somebody who like. Previously has been like pretty graphically hyper real because it's not quite realistic but like hyper realistic with his gore yeah it was just like really noticeable that it was like a, a a fake corpse that she was suddenly replaced with because like they're doing cpr and it looks like rubber yeah like just just the kind of just like the kind of thing that i'm like oh that's weird like normally he would like that feels like something that normally he would like really want her body to look like a, a dead child's body <laughs> uh really make it just as disturbing and unsettling as possible so yeah no I, I think you're right that it's like kind of riffing on that and making it so that it's like all the all the violence and all the dead bodies and stuff look fake because it's it's kind of like this weird movie magic thing of like yeah we're, we're highlighting that this is all artifice yeah they're Mona's props, you know, any any interiority they have comes kind of second to her her goals and her aims. Lots of lots of kind of little artfulness throughout, artful touches. Um I liked a lot of the kind of like flashback shots and like kind of the way that some of that stuff was uh the way that some of that stuff was executed. Uh I liked Mona making bird noises. That was really funny. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, God, even just like the funeral scene has so many great punchlines. Just the here's where the 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 black commemorating where the chandelier decapitated. That was fucking awesome. The plaque that's like Bo Wasserman, this date to blank. Like. uh, I don't know. Yeah, I. I don't know, I guess I guess I'm interested to hear more what you think about it. I but like for my money, it's just. I just don't think it's a movie to be taken quite that seriously. It's it's not taking itself very seriously, I don't think. Uh, and, I, you know, it is it is very long. It's really, really, really long. But as long as you, you know, go to a theater with a comfy chair. I saw it, I saw it in an un- uncomfy chair the first time and saw it in a comfier chair the second time and liked it a lot better the second time. I will say, saw it in a comfy chair. Uh, and you know what? This is one of the few movies I've watched in a good while where I didn't get up during it. Right. <laughs> I just watched it for three hours. Didn't go pee. None. Yeah. Hold it uh, in. So that was, that's, you know, that congrats to the movie for that. Keeping me interested. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess it's like, I guess ultimately it's like, this is Ari Asu doing like a Saturday afternoon comedy. <laughs> it's just, he doesn't know how to do that because he's insane. <laughs> So it becomes this. I mean, he kind of does because it's funny, but then it's just, yeah, but then no, it's just I mean, a little over long. He doesn't know how to make it not um, packed to the gills. <laughs> yeah, really, really dense. Yeah, it, it's more that's what he doesn't know how to do rather than he doesn't know how to make a, a funny movie. Because like you said, there's some good jokes, some good gags. Yeah. A lot of good jokes, a lot of good gags. Yeah. Sometimes like multiple ones at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. And and for what it's worth, if you don't like Ari Aster's uh, kind of taste or his, his, you know, his voice, his artistic voice, uh, you know, that's fine. 
that's that's totally fine. I would argue that there's um more uh frustrating and annoying things happening in the world of movies. You know, for my money, I don't think he's yeah. necessarily uh I don't think he's that much of an easy target the way that people, I don't know, like people get really really fucking heated about this guy and it's just like you guys did I I don't know. I saw some bad movies this year. I saw some really, yeah, really I, bad movies this year. Some of them made several billion, billions and billions and billions of dollars more than Ari Aster movies make. Yeah, like, I, I'm not... Because I'm not trying to be a dick writer. I, I feel like his films are, like, for lack of a way to put it, underappreciated, but that includes by his own fan base. Sure, yeah. <laughs> um... There, there are there are so many times that I've seen extremely annoying takes about Midsummer, where people are arguing back and forth on it, but like both sides of it are arguing about like a movie that sounds like a completely different fucking film than what I watch. Sure, absolutely. Um, but I, I, I think it's just like, yeah, no, it's just the way people like hate on it is very like. People are, I think, using him as a synecdoche, if you will, uh, for everything that they don't like about modern horror, mm. which I'm going to have like extreme hot take here. I feel like a lot of the complaints I, I've, I've reached a point now where a lot of complaints I see about air quotes, modern horror stuff um, is like, OK, well, literally every decade there's like the same complaint. Not the same complaints, but like every decade, it's like, oh, horror is bad now. Yeah. Horror doesn't get the artistry of horror. Like, we, you had it with the new metal horror phase in the 2000s. You had it with the postmodern slashers of the 90s. You had it with the slashers of the 70s and 80s. Right. Like, that's just kind of always, always how it's been and probably always how it will be. Uh, and I think a lot of a lot of stuff that people, you know, get like to give themselves points for dunking on are going to hold up. I think Midsummer and Hereditary hold up. I don't think Babadook will. I think Babadook fucking sucks. Well, uh, yeah, we've been over that. <laughs> but. I, I and you don't have to love the movie. I'm not saying you got to like it anyway. But like shit isn't as as fucking uh, influential as that is without it, you know ending up being a more important film than you maybe want it to be. Yeah, absolutely. And name one director who actually, like, you know, fucking stands behind and is super proud of the elevated horror label. Like, who who would want their shit to be called that? That's like what people called uh, Aphex Twin intelligent dance music. For a really <laughs> long time, they called it that. And it's like, what a dumb thing to say. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's you know, it's sometimes a thing can just be a thing. Like there's there's and there's plenty of critiques I've read of his stuff where like I like some of it. I like I like bits. I like I agree with some of it, I agree with bits of it. I just think that his stuff is a. Uh, I think a lot of people want to read it as just like oh it's too obsessed with metaphor, but it's like okay, but like it's not like the the actual subject matter in his films aren't also interesting and compelling. Uh, yeah, I mean your mileage may vary on that one, obviously, but for for my money, like he's. You know, two and a half for three. You know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. 
there's 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 you know there there's worse I, directors I, out there i there's so many worse directors out there and they're all getting so much money <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah honestly i think talking it out has kind of helped me help me realize that that really what it comes down to is just that uh it's like it's like midish sure <laughs> it's it's like okay it's it's, fine. it's 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 you know it's better than like other mid films i've seen but like it's you know it's not ari Aster's best i i'm i'm excited for him to do more <laughs> yeah good for a lark good for a laugh yeah good for very a summer funny. afternoon very funny film funny. uh just just dense but not in a way that's uh necessarily good yeah, great performances throughout too. I mean, oh, incredible performances! Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, thanks for stopping in. I'm gonna be, I'm definitely gonna be writing you several new prescriptions based off of kind of the information that we've. No, that's fine. Talked I can about. sell them. Yeah. Uh. All right. Well, that's kind of one way to approach. I, 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 you, you could think about taking them. I could. <laughs> I could think about that. All right. All right. <laughs>